Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello and welcome to Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, Gaze at the National Parks is a podcast that explores the trails of America's national parks. One hiking trail and one national park, one park at a time. In between our full-length episodes which explore these trails, we have trail mix episodes. These episodes cover a variety of topics related to the national parks and the environment. And often... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I have the. I'm like trying to avoid getting the hiccups right now. <laughs> and often explore topics we didn't have time to cover in depth in a full length episode, which is exactly the case today, as our episode centers around going to the Sun Road, the iconic 51 mile roadway that makes viewing, hiking, and enjoying much of the Glacier National Park possible. We would like to acknowledge that Glacier National Park is on the traditional and stolen land of the Blackfeet and the Tanaha Nation. There is so much ground to cover when we talk about going to the Sun Road, both literally and figuratively, but also some questions to answer along the way, and some history to understand when it comes to roadways in America. So what do you think it would have been like to visit a national park like Glacier prior to the advent of cars? I mean, definitely horses, Mm -hmm. I would imagine, would probably be a huge thoroughfare there. Yeah. Wagons, perhaps. Perhaps wagons. Yes. On foot, Mm -hmm. certainly. Yep. I'm curious if there was a trail on going to the Sun Road or if that was like entirely... Just like created because of... Carved for the sake of mm-hmm. cars. I don't yeah. know if there was like a natural ledge around there or not. And maybe we'll find out and in maybe this we will adventure that in we're this about to go on. We're about to go on. Exactly. Glacier became a national park in 1910, not long after the invention of the Ford's Model T in 1908. But it was some time before the automobile became a common accessory to most Americans in the 1920s and 30s, and even more time before a large majority of Americans began longer commutes to work in the 1950s. That said, the advent of the car changed so many things, including the lust for personal adventure and hitting the open road, of which at the onset of the automobile, was yet to be created as we know it today. 
While travel, exploration, and westward expansion became the hallmark of the fledgling nation of America, it was often reserved for those with either the means to appreciate and afford it, or the desperation and need to accommodate it. While the transcontinental railroad system was finished in 1869, with the final hammer blow of the last spike in promontory Utah, it would be decades before roadways became expansive enough to surpass the reach that the railroad could provide. The Office of Public Roads was founded in 1905, the same year as the U.S. Forestry Service. And in fact, these two government offices aligned in many ways. With the Agricultural Appropriation Acts of 1912 and 1913, funds were made available to construct roads and trails within national forests to allow for revenue-improving purposes in the public domain. 1912 also saw allocated funds for the improvement of post roads for states and localities with interests, which would need to provide matching funds, laying the groundwork for the Federal Aid Highway Construction Program. The Federal Aid Road Act of 1916 paved the way for the development and creation of interstate highway systems and creation of roadways, which was further augmented with the Federal Highway Act of 1921, which further codified and better organized entities responsible for the creation of roadways and highways. At this time, Despite the number of national parks, the construction of roadway within the park system was sparse and mostly depended upon available funding. In 1918, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers developed the first basic roadways within Yellowstone National Park. Six years prior to Congress creating a special legalization which authorized for the construction of roads within the parks. In 1926, an agreement between the Bureau of Public Roads, Department of Agriculture, and the National Park Service allowed for interagency work on roadways in the park system to get underway. It seems like it really took a lot in order for roadways to actually, at least in the initial onset of the national parks, to kind of become more prevalent. But I'm wondering what challenges really would have been present when it came to adding roadways to those iconic spaces of a national park system. So challenges. Yeah. I mean, I imagine like, I mean, I would hope that environments and ecosystems would be at least somewhere on the the docket of things right. that they were thinking about and considering as far as that goes. Yeah. Making the least amount of disturbance to what was already there. Yeah. I mean, building roads through natural spaces is an act of colonization. So how, you know, I mean, it's... You're not wrong. No, obviously not wrong. But so, I'm just curious if that was their goal was to sort of preserve that beauty like what was what was the most important thing for them to kind of like think about and how to attack and basically design and then build those roads i mean i feel like the function versus aesthetic was probably a conversation always being had it was function following form probably in some ways and yeah rather than form following function because i feel like specifically with going to the sun road i do feel like that road does look like it naturally has occurred in that area right which does make me curious if there was a landing there or not Mm. before the bureau of public roads had experience with the creation of roadways within the national forests so working to create roadways through iconic landscapes which both appreciated and highlighted the spaces and worked to have as minimal impact as possible was sort of in their wheelhouse at this point During the Great Depression, in order to alleviate economic hardship and under the auspices of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's alphabet agencies, both federal highway construction and roadways through the national parks expanded. This brings us to going to the Sun Road, whose construction spanned much of the time of the early roadways in America. 
So if you had to summarize in one word or two words going to the sun road, what would that word or word? Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Probably is yeah. my, my first mm-hmm. instinct. For you, um, yes. Yes. Terror. Frightening mm-hmm. is maybe a second word I'd yeah. use. If I had to use a third word, I'd <laughs> maybe fearful, mm-hmm. perhaps. Maybe doom. <laughs> right. I think you're painting a picture that is hyperbolic. Um, I'm painting a hyperbolic. picture that is most definitely um, uh, exaggerated. Mm. The road had recently been... Right. Like, repaved, repaved. And adjusted, yeah. And so it felt a little bit more like a real road. You didn't have experience of what it was like prior to, though. No, no. I didn't. No. Not at all. Yeah. And uh, I don't love ledges, so no. that road was definitely, like, woof. Yeah. I think for me, it was awe-inspiring because I was the driver basically every day. <laughs> Despite driving and having to pay attention, there was a ton to have to take in regardless. You you were forced to take in like the views. Um, I think you were, you know, you had like, you had turtled. You basically went back into your shell in the morning. I have to say, I agree with you. And that I find the views from going to the Sun Road awe inspiring, Mm, certainly. Yeah. The actual road itself is, not is your, a lot. Not your brand of strawberry jam. No, no. But because of that road, we get to see what's there from those angles. That's true. You know, so yeah. that road does provide quite a bit of function for a lot of things. Yeah. While the Great Northern Railway, which was finished in 1891, running from St. Paul, Minnesota to Seattle, Washington, provided a stop at Glacier National Park, the cost was beyond many to enjoy this route and the lodges or chalets within the park. Along with the expense of getting to the park itself and lodging, trips within Glacier were limited to those by guide on horseback, further adding to the expense of experiencing it. Originally, only few wagon roads existed within Glacier's boundaries and their treadways were sparse and hazardous at best. The enthusiasm of the automobile and the initial construction of roads throughout the country excited those who knew the beauty of Glacier, but also understood the difficulties of reaching interior points within the park. This included the park's first superintendent, William R. Logan, who wanted to create a trans-mountain roadway through the park. Initially, there was pushback to the idea by local businessmen, considering it foolish to construct a roadway so near to the Great Northern Railway, which already brought people to the park. In the early days of this debate, the lack of roads near the park must have also made the plan seem foolhardy. But when in 1911, as roadways encroached on the borders of Glacier itself, locals realized that this trans-mountain highway through the park could boost visitorship and could provide additional tourist dollars, they acquiesced the plant. Money always talks, doesn't it? In 1921, the same year as the passage of the Federal Highway Act, the first monies were allocated by Congress toward the creation of this trans-mountain highway, or going to the Sun Road. The roadway began in earnest with a plan created by George Goodwin, a National Park Service engineer, and the roadway as it stands today remains mostly true to his plan. A section of steep switchback roads and hairpin turns that would bring you up to Logan Pass and the Continental Divide was abandoned for a more practical and less steep climb, which today is known as the Loop. The appropriations for the construction of the Trans Mountain Highway were $100,000 a year for the first few years, when construction began on both ends of the now going to the Sun Road, in the west, leading in from Apgar to Lake McDonald, and eventually up to 
Avalanche Creek. And on the eastern end, the roadway skirted the edge of St. Mary Lake. Then in 1924, everything changed as a $1 million appropriation for a three-year construction plan was approved. This was a game changer. To better appreciate and assess the remaining distance across the Continental Divide, the Bureau of Public Roads and its engineers stepped in next. Under the guidance of Frank A. Kitteridge, a survey was completed in 1924, but by no means was it easy. Racing against time and a high turnover of workers, who often had to climb thousands of feet each day, dangle over ledges, and hang from ropes at high altitudes, the survey was completed prior to the winter of that year. This sounds like the kind of work that's right up your alley, Dusty. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right up my alley. Right Please up your sign me up. Kirstie Alley. Right. With an impressive plan and survey in hand, a deal was reached for the Bureau of Public Roads to supervise the creation of this Trans Mountain Highway. That being said, it was the landscape architects of the National Park Service who were responsible for the aesthetics of the road and enmeshing it within the landscape itself. To that end, so much consideration was taken with the construction of the road and how it would impact the landscape, from utilizing local stone quarried from nearby mines in the construction of bridges to utilizing small explosions rather than large ones to remove obstructions. Great care was taken in the road itself. That being said, the work was anything but easy. As bids opened for the western section up to Logan Pass, and knowing that they would need to have highly skilled contractors for the job, the Bureau of Public Roads invited contractors to see the work which lay ahead. Tacoma, Washington contractors William and Douglas made a $900,000 bid for the work to be supervised by the Bureau of Public Roads under the guidance of W.G. Peters. The project was worked on in multiple sections at a time, which was achievable because hundreds of men were employed on the project. While major construction jobs were completed in mass, smaller jobs and masonry work were subbed out to smaller crews of men, usually 8 to 10. Materials needed to be hauled up 15 miles of construction trails and tote roads in order to reach the finished sections of the road. Camps were established at multiple points to house and feed the men throughout the construction. With the work completed on the western leg of the Trans Mountain Highway, at the precipice of the winter season in October of 1928, the road itself was opened up to Logan Pass in June of 1929. The park saw a rise of 46% in visitors in that year from 1928, but the road was only halfway completed. The eastern spur up to Logan Pass was divided into two contracts, one going to A.R. Douglas, whose work to complete the more central section of the roadway, and the other to the Colonial Building Company of Spokane Washington. This work didn't begin until 1931 and wasn't completed until 1932. There were difficult sections in this construction that in some ways were more challenging than the Western Spur, including the 408-foot east side tunnel below Logan Pass. About five feet of this tunnel were able to be bored every 24 hours. Other challenges, like getting the proper and often heavy equipment needed to the job sites, not only delayed the work, but included the extra work of building tote roads. Heavy equipment needed to be flown by barge up to St. Mary Lake, and rough water on the lake could delay construction for several days. Aside from all this, working within a compressed seven-month period at the whim of the elements and for long hours at extreme heights and doing exhaustive labor made the progress of this project last several seasons. 
The Trans Mountain Highway, or Going to the Sun Road as it was known, at its dedication, and still is today, was officially fully opened on July 11th, 1933. Opening ceremonies taking place a few days later on July 15th. But the work itself didn't stop there, as sections that were completed before 1925 were updated using money from the New Deal throughout the 1930s. And while we have talked a lot about roadways and the creation of highways and park roads throughout the episode, going to the Sun Road was mostly crushed stone until it began being paved in the late 1930s, the paving of which continued through 1952. And the work continues to this day. Notably in the mid-90s, the Logan Pass parking area and roadway from the pass just below Overland Bend were repaved and rehabbed to include work on the retaining walls and the drainage. More recently, major construction and rehabilitation, which was originally estimated to take seven to eight years, starting in 2007, was completed in 2019. Notably, this construction helped to institute the shuttle system in place within the park to help to alleviate traffic, but also to improve visitor experience, like many other parks who have also instituted these shuttle services. Not to mention that every season, snow removal on the road is pivotal for its opening. There is no set date for the road to reopen to travel fully across it, as this date is mostly dependent on the snowfall that season. It is also worth noting that going to the Sun Road is now operating a seven-day ticket reservation system, which allows you to access the road, helping to improve the visitor experience and allowing for less traffic and fewer snacks along the iconic highway. There is truly nothing like traveling this road. While the heights may be extreme and the road narrow, if you have someone in your car willing and able to be your driver and your fear of heights is manageable as a passenger, you in no way will be disappointed by what going to the Sun Road has to offer. I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. The sources for today's episode include the National Park Service, the Federal Highway Administration, and MontanaKids.com. Now, let's end this trail mix with a game. Okay, Mike, are you ready? I am. So everybody, we're going to let you in on a little secret. This has never, ever happened to us before, but we did have an issue Mm. with the um, file being saved for this episode. This was actually the second recording of this episode. Yes. Because uh, we recorded it once, and for some reason, the audio did not save inside of the file. Ghosts in the machine. Ghosts in the machine, everybody. So this was our second time recording it, and... We had recorded a different game before, but because we had done the game, we right. couldn't. We weren't just going to like pretend we didn't know the answer. No, there's we, no fun in that no, for either of us. No, because yeah. um, we we don't do that. We've never mm-hmm. done that. So because we're number one. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a new game. Great. This game is called Sun in Songs. Inspired by going to the Sun Road, this game is all about songs that contain the word sun. Mm. Okay, so here's how it goes. There is 10 of these. Wow. Okay, here's the deal, though. Okay. There is 30 points available. Oh. And we're going to see how many of the 30 points you can get. I'm going to give you the name of a band that sings a song that contains the word sun or sunshine Mm -hmm. in it somehow. If you can guess the song just from the name of the band, you get three points. Oh. If you need another hint, then I will give you a lyric of the song. Mm-hmm. If you get it from that, two then points. two points. If you still don't get it from that, then I will sing the lyric. Oh. If you get it from that, one point. But And then if you don't, it's zero. But also, I'm going to be playing a ukulele, and it's going to be a different tonal music <laughs> from what you're used to. No, I've done that too many yes. times. And I, you know how I, I know how you feel about it. So here we go. Are you ready for the first one? I am. The Beatles. Here comes the sun. That is correct. Mm -hmm. Three points. 
Beautiful. I want you to keep up your, with your score. Great. Right? I've got three right now. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. The second one, Cheryl Crow. Soak up the sun. That's right. Mm-hmm. Michael, Six points. Mike likes gold stars. I do. Okay, the third Sun-shaped one. Sun-shaped gold stars. Here we go. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sun is the gold star. Mm-hmm. Here it's we true. Go. Katrina and the waves. Walking on sunshine. That's right. Mm-hmm. Also, they get increasingly harder as oh, we go Oh, I understand what's happening here. Okay, great. Here we go. Number mm-hmm. four. Natasha Bedingfield. Sunshine on my mind. <laughs> Incorrect. Okay, I'll okay. give you the I'll give great. you the lyric. Take me away a secret place, a oh, sweet escape. What is pocket full of sunshine? Take me away. Correct. Right. Okay, so, so two, two points. points. Okay, 11. You got 11 right now. Okay, great. Elton John. Don't let the sun go down on me. That's right. I'd rather the moon. Badachum. <laughs> okay, so we're at what, 15? No, 14. 14. Okay, great. The next one. Bill Withers. Hmm. You're going to say it after and I'm going to be real mad, but that's okay. I can try for two. So I don't know. Okay, great. Wonder this time where she's gone. Wonder if she's gone to stay. Oh, no. Mm -mm. Okay. I guess I'll have to sing it for you. Okay. For one point. Wonder this time where she's gone. Wonder if she's gone to stay. Ba-dum, bum, bum, and it can go wrong every time she goes away. I know, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> I don't know, no, 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 that's the right, name that's of right. the song. It's, I thought it was Leave Me When I'm Gone. No, nope. ain't no sunshine when you're gone. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so okay. one point. Now we're one at 15. Point. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next one. Okay. Stevie Wonder. I thought Stevie Nicks were <laughs> I was scrambling. You are the sunshine of my life. That's right. Mm-hmm. Where are we now? 18. 18. Great. Smash Mouth. Oh. I don't know. Okay. So for two points. Mm-hmm. So don't delay. Act now. Supplies are running out. Allow, if you're still alive, six to eight years to arrive. Well, All Star is what I'm thinking of, but that's not. And I know that lyric, but I can't think of the melody. I don't know. God, this is the one I know the least. I'm going to do my best. Sorry, okay. everybody. No, if you're I, a I know Mouth the fan. I know the lyrics to. So don't delay. Act now. Supplies are running oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Allow if you're still alive, six to eight years to arrive, and if you can't run away, uh, what is might as well be walking on the sun. Correct. <laughs> there you go. Nineteen. Great. Nineteen. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Next one. This is number nine. I like that that was like tiki jazz contemporary. Yeah. So don't delay. Act now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sarah Bareilles. Mm. This is the last one? No, this oh. is number nine. Oh, number nine. What is sanitary in the middle of Queens? <laughs> that's the song. Yes. Oh. But that's not the name of the song. Oh. A cemetery in the, you say no that's right that's right you just that was I the know, title I right know there. I know I can't wait 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 wait. I love me some Sarah B and I, I know you do I can't think of it 
It's is it like waiting for sunshine or something like that? No, no. I'll I can't give believe you, it's not cemetery in the middle of Queens. Is not the name. That's of that not song. the name of the song. Okay. No, but I'll give you the lyric. Okay, I'll give you the lyric leading up to the title, okay. which is "You say, remember that life is not meant to be wasted. We will always be chasing the sun." That's right. There we go. You did it. Twenty. Twenty. Okay, great. And finally, the last one. Oh, 21, though. Sorry. Because that, that was in two. Yeah. Okay. Len. This is like early aughts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Iconically um, early aughts. Male no. voice and female voice. I was thinking song. of vitamin C. Definitely in that world. Yeah. Though, definitely yeah. in that world. You're thinking the right um, thing. This was like my like late high school years <laughs> to date myself. Can you give me a hint, please? I will give you the lyrics. Okay. So now we're going to okay. two points. Yeah. I was frying on the bench slide in the park across the street. L-A-T-E-R that week. My sticky paws were into making straws out of big fat slurpy treats. An incredible eight foot heap. No, <laughs> please go to three. And I'm surprised that you know the Len song. Or Hold the on, Smash here Mouth we go. Here we go. I pr- this was always this was a hard one too because I don't remember anything but the chorus. I'm pretty sure it goes like this. It's like I was frying on the bench side in the park oh. across the street. L a t e r that week. My sticky paws were into making straws mm-hmm. out of a big fat slurpy treats. Mm-hmm. An incredible eight foot heap. Mm. Do, 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 do. You steal my sunshine. You got it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there For go. one point. That's right. 22 out of 30. 22 out of 30. That ain't bad, mm-hmm. girl. That's not Not bad. too shabs. That is a B plus, ladies and gents. This has been Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. To find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gaze at the National Parks.com. That's gaze, G A Z E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the Gay Shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Skleos. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we are on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey. 